Well, we're in week two of a series we've called being, uh, we're calling Being Human, and we may have some folks that are new to church that you don't normally do this on a Sunday morning. I love that you're here. We're taking this idea of being human and thinking about what does God have to say about us as human beings? I think the question of our age is the question, what is a human? Now, you may not think that, but I think in the coming years, you're gonna see more and more ways in which this question shows up, whether it's the distinction between humans and animals, or it's our use of artificial intelligence technology, or some of the issues related to end of life, or even when does life begin. These, these are questions of our age, and God has a lot to say about what it means to be a human. And we used this line last week that is a simple reminder, yet powerful one, about, about us being created by God. And this is what we said last week. We said this, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Do you remember that? You, you were created on purpose. God had a purpose and a design when he created every one of you. And he has a purpose for you. In many ways, in my heart, I'm thinking about 2023 as a year of purpose. We say that our mission statement as a church is that we wanna help people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. And when we talk about purpose, we're talking about God's great purpose for people to come into a saving relationship with him and us doing anything that we can to help people find and follow Jesus. That, that's God's ultimate purpose. That, that, that's why the church exists, by the way. The church doesn't have a mission, the mission has a church. And God's mission is that his church is doing everything it can to help people find and follow Jesus. That, that's God's great purpose. But even as you break it down in our individual lives, that purpose shows itself in, in different ways. Today we're gonna talk specifically about work and, and about how God thinks about work. I, I've entitled this message, Being in charge. You may remember last week that when we talked about being made in the image of God, one of the key distinctions was that as human beings, God has given us a sense of rule over his creation. And so if we are to rule his world, and I want to say that humbly because obviously he's the ruler of the world, but if we are called to, as stewards, rule this creation, it means that we have areas and domains in which we have to be in charge. So today we're talking about work. I looked at some stats. I thought this was interesting. You may not know this, but for the average American, he or she will work about 100,000 hours in their lifetime, at least at a, at a job, an occupation. That's 13 years, two months. Uh, the average number of jobs an American has is 12. I don't know how many jobs you've had in your life. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I think about some of the jobs I've had. I mentioned last week, I worked at that you know, horse stable. That was my first job. I, I, worked, uh, I worked at McDonald's, right? I worked at a couple different restaurants, Longhorn. When I was in college, I worked uh, as a runner at a law firm. I've, I've been a janitor as a church. Actually, the very first job I had at a church was as a janitor, now I'm the senior pastor. It's basically the same job. I've done a lot of different things. I, I'm, even in high school, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, my girlfriend, she worked at the mall at the Gap. You know what I did? I got a job at the Gap. Love will make you do some dumb stuff. I got a job. 
And when she left, I left too, all right? I, I hated that job. But I've, I've had lots of jobs, I don't know about you. Also, when we look at the attitudes related to work, this may or may not surprise you, most people are unsatisfied with their jobs. In fact, a study I looked at said that 60% of Americans are emotionally detached from their work, and about 20% are downright miserable. You've seen what many have called the great resignation over the last year or two. People leaving their careers, switching jobs, leaving one place, going to another. And what a lot of people are finding out is that while they thought the grass was green on the other side, it isn't so much. And they're struggling with work. When it comes to the idea of being a human, we're seeing this whole devaluing of human work. Now, some of the things that we might think are kind of neat with technology like artificial intelligence may right now be a novel thing as we use our series and Alexas and see self-checkout stations and other things that are just kind of neat right now when it comes to technology. You're also seeing the devaluing of work. Think about how many stores you go to that now have self-checkout instead of a human being doing the work. Now, that may be because they're struggling to find workers, maybe because they're trying to save a dime. But over time, we see that robots are doing what humans were in some way designed to do. And today I wanna to talk about how do, we, how do we enjoy our work? Not just how do we work, but how do we actually enjoy? Did you know that God wants you to enjoy your work? And when we talk about the work, work today, we're not just talking about people who have a job. I know a lot of people in here uh, don't have an occupation in the sense of maybe you're retired or maybe you stay at home with the kids. But we're all asked by God to work and not just to work, but to enjoy our work. Before we jump into the text, I, I want to read a quote by Wendell Berry. I love how he says this. He says, the significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by our understanding of the story in which we are taking part. In other words, until you see how your life interacts with God's greater story, you'll never enjoy the work that he's given you to do. So we wanna look at what is God's story about work and how does that relate to us today when we think about being a human and one who is called to rule and to work. Let's look at Genesis chapter two. Today, we're gonna look at a couple different verses here, verses uh, four through nine, and then we're gonna skip down to verse 15. And I hope that you bring a Bible to church. If you're not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, don't even have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. We're gonna have the words on the screen. If you don't know a lot about the Bible, that's okay. I hope that, I hope that we teach in such a way that it makes the Bible understandable to you. But we're gonna look at Genesis chapter two, the second chapter of the whole Bible, Genesis two, starting in verse four, and we're gonna see the creation of man in particular here. Woman isn't created yet until the end of the chapter. But we're gonna see something about how this man is called to work. And I think what he is called to do is actually true of all of us as human beings. So if you would, let's stand together. I wanna to read for you Genesis chapter two, verses four through nine. And then we're gonna skip down to verse 15. Here we go. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, 
and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist, a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living person. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And let's skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do two things, to cultivate it and tend it. Let's pray about this. Father, as we look at this work that you have given Adam to do here in the garden, Lord, might we think about the work that you have given us to do as your human beings in this garden called the entire planet. God, I pray that as a result of your teaching today, we would learn to enjoy our work and and learn the why behind why you want us to work. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So again, I I hope that what we talk about today finds its application in all of your lives. I I know that a lot of you in this room still have an occupation, though something you get paid for, but let's just think about what we just read with Adam, that he was given responsibility in the garden and didn't get paid for it. And so I think what we're gonna learn today applies to all of us, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're retired, maybe you're a grandparent who keeps grandkids, maybe you volunteer at an organization, volunteer at her church. I mean, we are all called in some ways to work to contribute, and God wants us to enjoy our work. Now, I'm gonna tell you a little warning right off the bat. I got a lot of content I wanna get over into your brain today, into your heart and your head, and so this is a very listy sermon. By that, I mean that it's got a lot of lists. I just made that word up. It's a listy sermon, and so you may wanna, in fact, I wanna encourage you uh, every single week in our listening guide, we give you a fill-in-the-blank outline. This just helps you to stay on track with what we're teaching and I think this will be helpful to you as you think about work. And so I would encourage you to, fill, to, to, get, to get this and fill in the blank uh, as we go through this. Because we're going to be very straightforward here. Today I want to talk to you about three ways to enjoy your work. I wonder how many of you would like to actually enjoy your work. Uh, most people don't, apparently. But God actually wants you to enjoy your work. And that comes through three different ways that we see in this text. Here's the first way. We're gonna enjoy our work. It means number one, I have to reframe my purpose for work. When I say reframe, I mean think about it differently. Reframe my purpose, ultimately God's purpose for my work. Let's try to understand what God says about work. Under this, first of all, write this. Under letter A, God has designed us to work. He has designed us to work. One of the key things about studying the first part of Genesis, especially chapters one and two, is that here we have a blueprint of humanity before sin enters into the world. And this is God's design for all of us. So it's important for us to read this story, to go back again and again, what is God's design for human beings? 
And here we see that in verse seven, God forms man out of the ground. It's interesting that the, uh, the Hebrew word for Adam, which means man, is a play on words of the, of the word for earth, which is Adamah. So Adam, man, is made from Adamah, the earth. He's earthy in its nature. And God breathes life into this earthy man. And then it says he gives him responsibility in the garden. We saw in verse 15, the Lord God put the man in the garden to do two things, to cultivate it and to tend it. To cultivate it and to keep it. Now, the word keep is the same word that's used later in the Old Testament for the Levites who would serve the Lord in his temple. They would keep it. You might say it like this, that our work, if understood properly, can be a place of worship. Now, you might go, well, you ain't never been to my work, preacher. But our work, if we understand it right, can actually be a primary place of worship. So many times we do a poor job, including us as pastors, of connecting our Sundays to our Mondays. And we tend to think about worship as only something we do in a building with, with music and prayers and, and sermons. But the reality is that Romans 12 says that every day we should present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. And your place of work can be a place of worship. God put him in this garden to cultivate it and to keep it. God has designed us to work, which by the way, here's a, you know, kind of a, an aha moment that work was given before sin entered into the world. In other words, work is not simply the byproduct of a sinful world. It's not like, going, well, I have to work because this is a sinful world. Work was given before sin entered into the world. God designed us to work, to rule. Secondly, write this, work is bigger than compensation. It's bigger than compensation. I've tried to make this a point already, but it's, it's easy to write this off to go, well, I don't work or I don't think about work or I don't have a job because I'm retired or, or you know, whatever. But the reality is that all of us are called to work. We're all called in some way to contribute to helping to manage and rule God's creation. So many times we think about our calling as a job. And I think if we're not careful, that, that could be dangerous. I mean, honestly, historically, we have so many more choices than our ancestors did. Do we not? I mean, my, my last name is Smith, the most boring name on the planet, Smith, right? And Smith is probably named after someone who once had an occupation of a blacksmith or, or some other type of person who worked with metal or something. And, and guess what? If, if I was born 600 years ago, and if my dad was a blacksmith, you know what I was going to be? A blacksmith. And you know what my son was going to be? A blacksmith. You know what his son was going to be? A blacksmith. We, no one was praying in the 1600, God, what do you want me to do with my job? It was like, God already told you, you're a blacksmith. That's what you're going to do. Now, we live in a day and age where we have so many choices. And, and if we're not careful, we confuse our, our occupation with our calling. But God's calling transcends whatever job you have. Sometimes people get so worried about, do I take this job? Do I take that job? Maybe you could do either one, as long as you remember that God's calling 
can happen in both of them. Our work is much bigger than just something that we draw a paycheck from. It's bigger than compensation. It's about contribution. I I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. I I love this quote. He, He said this. He said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heavens and the earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Is that not a great quote? Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. It's a lot bigger than just getting a paycheck. God designed us to work. But also under this whole reframing, here's the third thing, and some of you may not like this. We will work for all eternity. I am sorry to disappoint you, right? But we will work for all eternity. I don't have time to unpack it, but if you wanna read some time, read, read Isaiah 65, which is this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. It's actually where Revelation 21 draws most of its content about the new heavens and the new earth. And it talks about how we will work. Now, there's a huge mystery to heaven. What do we do in heaven? A lot of people think that heaven is just gonna be this, this eternally long golf round, right? Some of you, that sounds like hell, right? Or, or maybe you think, no, heaven is just this one long choir practice. Again, maybe that sounds like hell to you, I don't know. But, but heaven is not just a place of just eternal relaxation. In the kingdom of God, we will work. Now, it will be done in a way that is pleasurable, that pleases the Lord, and we're not gonna go home with sinful, complaining attitudes. But in some ways, even our work now is a, an appetizer, a foretaste of what we will do in the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Working, contributing, cultivating, keeping, for the Lord. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, says this. Our best work days on earth, when everything turns out better than we planned, when everything's done on time, when everyone on the team pulls together and enjoys each other, are just a foretaste of the joy our work will bring us in heaven. We'll have work to do, satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to. Work that'll never be drudgery. Now, there's a lot of mystery in that. I don't know all of how that will happen and take place. But even in heaven, we will work and you'll be glad that you do. So part of just enjoying work means reframing God's purpose for my work. All right, the second part of how to enjoy your work, particularly as we think about working in a fallen world, is to, number two, restore the way we work. Restore the way I work. This is more about the how rather than the why. Let's just kind of work again through this list. Firstly, write this down. The fall, meaning the fall of of the world to sin, the fall made work significantly harder. Significantly harder. The story of the garden, of course, is that after Adam was created, Eve was created, they were given a partnership together, 
And God said of that tree, he gave to Adam, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't, don't, don't eat from that. And they ate from it. And sin comes into the world. And so now the world that we have is a fallen world. It's a broken world. And so God then, then pronounces a curse on the serpent. He pronounces a curse on the woman. And then he pronounces a curse on the man. And this is what he said to the man in Genesis chapter three, verse 17 through 19. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, that's not, that's not the curse, it keeps going. And what do you do? And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The work Adam had to do was the same, keeping and cultivating a garden. Yet now because sin is entered into the world, it is significantly harder. And so we as human beings work in an environment where there's sin present. And it's harder than it would be in a world without sin. We live in a world where people don't always stand by their word. We, we have to work in a world where people often take shortcuts. We, we work in a world where people don't always look to others' best interests. We, we work in a world where people try to take advantage of others. That's, that's kind of dog-eat-dog world that we live in, and work has now become significantly harder. And the other product, by the way, of working in a sinful world is that sometimes people don't want to work. Now, there are, there are certainly some who want to work and can't work because of physical limitations. But there are also a lot of people who can work, but who don't want to work, largely because of sin. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this. This is pretty stark. It says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's, that's a pretty stark claim, isn't it? That if, if you don't wanna do your responsibility work, then, then you're worse than an unbeliever, not wanting to provide. So the fall makes it harder. Here's the second thing under this whole restoring the way I work. We have to learn a new way to work. We have to learn a new way to work. Jesus Christ one time used this just fascinating illustration. I think we often miss the point. He talked about that uh, there's this yoke and he wants us to take his, his yoke. Now, a lot of us didn't grow up plowing fields. In fact, I'm gonna just guess none of y'all grew up plowing fields, all right? But back in the day, you plow fields and you would put two ox together, oxen together, and you would often put this yoke that would bind them together. And when they were bound together, this yoke would help them to do the work more efficiently, more productively, more easily. And that's a common illustration that people understood. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my yoke. In fact, just here's what he says, Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Now, notice something that the product of walking with Jesus leads to rest and to a life that is what he says, easy and light. But the the idea of a yoke was not an instrument for rest. It's an instrument for work. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to learn to do your work with me. Take me to work with you, he would say. Maybe you've had one of those deals at your, at your job where it's like, take your kid to work day. What a terrible idea that is. Or, or maybe, you know, when you were a high school senior, you got to shadow somebody at work. I think a lot of us need to take Jesus to work with us. He's saying, I want you to do your work, but I want you to do it, do it with me. So when you're tempted to lash out in anger, I actually want you to learn to forgive that person. When you're tempted to go only a half a mile so that they don't take advantage of you, I want you to learn to go the extra mile. When you're tempted to, to, to take revenge, I, I want you to give grace. We go on and on. Jesus said, I want you to take me to work with you because I'm gonna teach you a new way to work. And it's actually a way of working that will lead you to rest in me. We have to learn a new way to work, working in the ways of Jesus. And that goes with this third part when it comes to renewing the way we work, is that work is an opportunity for mission. It's an opportunity for mission. Because the workplace, just the world in general, is flawed, and because places of businesses are fundamentally flawed, the, people, the places we, we volunteer are fundamentally flawed because we live in a broken world, this gives us unique opportunity to live on mission for him. And I think about it in, in three E's. Sorry for all the lists today. I told you I had a bunch of lists and stuff, and these aren't on the outline, just in my head. I'm thinking three, three ways to live on mission at your work. Three E's. You know what they are? Excellence, ethics, and evangelism. Excellence. It means that one of the key things you can do as a follower of Jesus is that wherever you go to work, you do it really well. You don't cut corners. You don't just try to get by. You don't do the minimum requirement. You understand, as Colossians says, you're working first and foremost for the Lord, and I'm gonna do my job well. Not perfect, because you're not perfect, but, but if anything's said about me, it's gonna say, that man or woman does their job well. Excellence. Ethics. You know, a lot of y'all in the corporate world, in particular, are just, are just living in this environment where everyone's cutting corners, everyone's manipulating, everyone, it's, all, it's all about deception and, and maybe cutting corners ethically. And I want to challenge you that even when it's hard, do the right thing. Maybe right now in your career, you're, you're being faced with, do I do God's thing or do this other easy thing? Do the right thing, ethics. And then evangelism. Talk about being a year of purpose. Now, you got to pray about how it's appropriate to do so. And I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what would work in your place of work or wherever you spend your time. But think about it as a wonderful place to live on mission for Jesus. And to, as an opportunity arises, tell people about Jesus. I remember when I felt called to go into the ministry and I had been working this other job and I needed about six months to just get a job. I was getting married, need to make money, that kind of thing. And I had two jobs. I told you I was a janitor at a church, um, but also I had a job cutting fish at the fresh market, right? The fresh market, the grocery store. Like I was the fishmonger back there. Cats loved me. It was an amazing time in my life. Um, and I, honestly, I, I love that job. I love food. I love working with people. 
and I look back to think about that job. I probably shared the gospel on average more at that job than even I have since being a pastor. Because as you live for Jesus, people ask questions. And as you face all the dilemmas of life, people wonder, where do you, where do you find the answers you're looking for? I had so many opportunities to share Jesus in that place of work. I went about for you. You know, sometimes we complain so much, God, get me out of this job, get me out of this work, get me that. Why? You're probably the only light there. God has put you there. What a perfect place for you to be because you get to be the light of Jesus in a dark world. But all that means that we have to think about how we work differently. Not just how, but think about the way that we work. All right, number three, how do you enjoy your work? And this is maybe just for some of you. But number three, I'd say this, regain my life from work, from work. In particular, I'm talking to a lot of our hard charging, North Atlanta, East Cobb, type A, take the world by the, by the tail kind of people. And, and you work and you work and, and, and you're known for your work ethic. And, and let's be honest, if we're not careful because we are sinners, we can often turn work, a good thing, into an idol, and it can rob us of our life and our soul the way God has designed us to live. So what's that mean for me practically? First of all, I need rhythms, healthy rhythms of work and rest. Healthy rhythms of work and rest. And I'll be honest, this is something I've, I have struggled with my whole life of just pushing things to the max, always saying yes to every commitment, enjoying it. But if you're not careful, you look out and you think, I, I'm not really taking care of my soul, my body in the way that I should. I've tried to improve in that in the last few years and, and I've seen some great improvement in my own life. I think just some of it's very practical, the way you eat, the way you sleep, you know, shutting the phone off. You know, Tarek and I, we used to, uh, we used to binge watch, you know, uh, shows on Netflix or whatever late into the night. And then I noticed that I just never slept well. I always felt tired. And so we, we cut that out. We don't do that anymore. I'm not saying you have to do that, but you just have to look at your life and go, are there ways in which I am not, I'm not being rejuvenated and rested so that then I go all day and I get burned out to the end. And then, and then I, it's, it's robbing me of my soul. Even a good thing like work can sometimes strip you of the joy that God wants you to live in. And you just need to think about your own life. Are there ways in which you could recapture some healthy rhythms of rest and then work? That's true for life. It means that at times in the whole lifespan, there's gonna be a time you have to retire. Even at, at our church this week, we announced uh, the retirement or the, the soon coming retirement of Mark Cottingham, who's been our executive pastor of worship for 35 something years. And uh, Mark is awesome. And sometimes people think, well, you know, is retirement biblical? Yes, it is biblical. In fact, the Levites in the temple were, were made to retire at the age of 50. Now, that doesn't mean that Mark or anyone else is gonna retire from serving the Lord. And I pray that God's gonna use him in some great ways even after his job is done. But there are certainly rhythms to life. And retirement can be one of those rhythms for a lot of people. But we still find rhythms of rest and work. This goes to the second part, regaining my life. It means that my limitations are a gift. 
My limitations are a gift. Some people say, if I just had more time, I would. Are there some days you wish there were eight days in the week? You'd get so much more done. You'd have more time to relax. But you know, that's actually a lie. Because if you got more time, you're gonna fill it up with more stuff to do. Amen? It's like people are like, if I just win the lottery, I'd give it all to the Lord. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you're not giving it now, you're not gonna give it then. You don't have time now, you don't have time then. We have to understand that, that our limitations in this fallen world, when it comes to time, our need for rest, our need for renewal, th- those are all a gift from the Lord. And they help us to regain our life from work. I found a wonderful website. Um, I don't know who put this website together. I haven't read every single word on the site. So if you read something, you're like, I disagree with this. Why would you recommend that? Because I, I probably didn't read it, all right? But here's a good website that I thought was helpful. It's called Theology of Work. Dot org, theologyofwork.org, at least wait till the after the service to start looking at it, all right? But I thought it had a wonderful um, menu of, of topics and resources when it comes to thinking about um, what is God's design for work. Well, I want to end by this. Um, there's a painting that was painted, if I can say his name right, uh, Georges, although it's French, I'm saying that wrong, Georges de la Tour. In 1642, it's called Joseph the Carpenter. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. And and it's a part of Jesus' life we don't think about a whole lot because it's Jesus as a boy looking up to his earthly father, Joseph, Joseph, who we know was a carpenter. Now, we don't think about Jesus' working life a lot, but from what we can tell, the majority of Jesus' life was spent working probably with his father, or at least in the business that his father created as a carpenter, or it might be as a stonemason. And I think about Jesus as a worker. And Jesus had these two great lines that are really bookends of his life. Remember when he was a kid and and his parents lost him in the temple? What a parenting fail, by the way. You lose Jesus. And and he's... I mean, how does that happen? It's been like four days. Has anyone thought about our kid? Maybe we should go find him. Anyways, they go and find Jesus and he's in the temple and they're wondering, why are you, why are you here? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, I must be about my father's business. And then the thing about all the way to the end of his life, when Jesus had lived this life and he had taught the ways of God and then he did what he came to do, which was to die on a cross for us, our sins, so that we could be forgiven by repenting and putting our faith and trust, transferring what Jesus did on the cross to us. Jesus died, and on the third day later, he, he rose from the grave, defeating the powers of death and hell. And when Jesus was, was on that cross, one of the most powerful things he said were the words, it is finished. Those were the bookends of his life. I must be about my father's business and it is finished. What a great way for us to think about our life. That no matter what my job is, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a janitor, I'm a high school coach, no matter what what I do, I need to be about my father's business such that when my life is over and I get ready to work for God forever in the kingdom, I can look to him and say, it is finished. I did all that you've asked me to do. 
Honestly, you can never do that. You can never have a proper understanding of work or live in the ways of Jesus until you give your life to him. And our prayer every Sunday is that if, if that's the decision that where you are right now, you need to give your life to Christ. I believe that you are here for a purpose. I believe that today is the day that Jesus wants you to move from death to life. And I would love for you to have an opportunity to do that even this morning, to understand that he died on the cross for your sins. And if you ask him to come into your life, for him to be the center of your life, he can change you, he can save you, he can redeem you. He, he can even do a miracle and make you enjoy work. But it only starts when you allow him to be the center of your life. I wonder if we could pray about that this morning. Would y'all pray with me? Father, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for him giving his spirit to us right now to indwell us and to make us more like you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who needs to give their life to Jesus, that today would be a day of salvation. I pray they would repent of their sin and say, Jesus, come into my life, change me, save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave, that Lord, I could one day rise and be with you forever in your kingdom. Lord, also pray for a lot of our folks who work and find work to be drudgery, misery, something they just can't wait to stop doing one day. Lord, would you, would you reframe the way we look at work? There are thorns and thistles. There always have been, always will be until you come back. But Lord, might we find a supernatural joy even in the difficult things of work? God, we've sung already, Lord, that it is so easy to be formed by feelings But Lord, as followers of Jesus, we wanna hold fast to what is true and that is Jesus. So Lord, would you be magnified in our life, in our work life, in our home life, and certainly in our salvation. Christ, would you be magnified? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.